Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This election is crucial. Nothing less is at stake than our democracy. But as we say, we don't agonize, we organize. And that is why I am running for re-election to Congress. All right. Nancy Pelosi's running for re-election. She's 83. What did I say she is? Whatever she is. 81, I think. 81. Um, so there you go. I don't blame her. She's still very effective and powerful. And uh, and uh, Democrats particularly like 80-year-olds running the country. So fine. Boy, I got to jot down that this is the most important election of our lifetimes, just so I don't forget. Hey, coming up. I can't believe we haven't done it yet, because this is my new favorite song. I was jamming it yesterday. I played at least part of it for my son, because it gets into my son who's about to be 12. He's getting into that age where, you know, some of it I wasn't comfortable with playing. The new Kid Rock song. If you haven't heard the new Kid Rock song, the F. Fauci song, the... Make sure we got the bleep version. Yeah, it's it's not for, uh, you know, it's it's a little, it's, well, it's like rap music. And uh, we'll play a little of that next segment. I jammed that so many times yesterday. Have you listened to the whole thing? Uh, no, I have not. It's 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 more uh, complex than just the part that we played. It's oh. it's quite the tune. Really? Yeah. Huh, now I'm intrigued, musically speaking. It's hard not to get get fired up playing it. If you haven't heard it, it's coming up next segment. All right, all right we'll do it this half hour. Fabulous. So uh, I was interested in this uh, article in the New York Times I came across the other day. Ahead of midterms, some Democrats search for a new message on virus. The subhead is Democrats were cheered for strict lockdowns and pandemic precautions. Now many weary voters want to hear the party's plan for living with the coronavirus. And they quote a bunch of Democratic voters who is like, yeah, I thought this was a good idea at first, but we can't keep this up. This is crazy. I can't believe they haven't changed their policies. And just on and on and on it goes. I mean, a serious uh, problem for the Democratic Party. And then to my interest, uh, to my shock and horror, uh, in the morning newsletter that they send out that uh, we subscribe to through the show here, um, they they write about a, a poll that they commissioned, a morning consult poll. Um, and this is... This is crazy. COVID's starkly different impact on the young and old has been one of the virus's defining characteristics. They write, we know that, right? Tends to be mild for children, younger adults, often severe for the elderly. More than three quarters of all U.S. COVID deaths have occurred among people 65 and older. And if you made it 50 and older, it'd be even, you know, a significantly larger percentage. Given these patterns, it seems obvious that older Americans should be more fearful of COVID than younger Americans. They're not. That's one of the striking findings from a new poll that Morning Consult, a survey firm, conducted. Old and young people have similar levels of concern about their personal risk. But listen to this. gets even crazier. Black, white, young, old, men, women, rich, poor, and in the middle. Very similar attitudes. Very, very similar. The only distinguishing contrasting groups liberal and conservative and those those differences are vast it is just so crazy it's the tribal politics thing and um uh i think the tribal politics thing has driven us to certain news sources uh and then and then that's where the split really occurs so uh, everybody on the right gets their news from, you know, their five favorite right-leaning sources, and everybody on the left gets their news from that. And so you have completely different realities going 
around COVID and everything else. But COVID, it's the most stark, I think. Yeah. What's really, really at That's the really of this? interesting. Yeah, you'd probably want to read Thomas Sowell's A Conflict of Vision, at least the first couple of chapters of it, because um, it's, a, it's a chewy read. But um, it, it, let me go on with some of the results. It's just it's you're going to slap yourself in the forehead. You're not going to believe it. Um, and the New York Times often misinterprets this because they look at it through such a left wing bias. So I'll, I'll, I'll not some of that. So here's one of your questions. As I deal with Omicron, I am going to two choices, make changes to my normal activity to pray. To prioritize safety and public health, or continue my normal activity as much as possible. Democrats, 65% said, I'm going to make changes. I am going to really be careful. 65 to 30 among Republicans, conservatives. Um, and then, yeah, I'm sorry, it's 65, 30, and 30, 65. They're, they're mirror images of each other. New York Times writes, many Democrats say they feel unsafe in their communities, are worried about getting sick from COVID, and believe the virus poses a significant risk to their children, parents, and friends. Republicans are less worried about each of these issues. Who's right? Well, there's no one answer to that question, because different people have different attitudes toward risk. Uh, different risks are acceptable to different people. But the poll suggests, uh, the r- results suggest that Americans have adopted at least some irrational beliefs about COVID. In our highly polarized country, many people seem to be allowing partisanship to influence their beliefs and sometimes to overwhelm scientific evidence. And then, of course, they get into millions of Republicans who don't want to get a vaccine and downplay COVID. And so it's killing a hell of a lot more Republicans than Democrats right now. It is undeniable it kills the unvaccinated in vastly higher numbers than the vaccinated. And if you don't believe that, trust your old Uncle Joe. You're looking at the wrong stuff. But then they write, grudgingly, millions of Democrats have decided that organizing their lives around COVID is core to their identity as progressives. Mm. Even as pandemic isolation and disruption are fueling mental health problems, drug overdoses, violent crime, rising blood pressure, growing educational inequality. As David Hogg, the gun control activist kid, tweeted last year, the inconvenience of having to wear a mask is more than worth it to have people know I'm not a conservative. Yeah, well, Barry Weiss said that on uh, Bill Maher's show the other night. We played that. She's the uh, the the the, the pro- progressive subreddit chatter uh, who said a lot of my super liberal friends I, I they they just they're they're worried about the perception of who they are or how they'll be seen if they drop the whole COVID mask vaccine thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is a hell of a deal given the devastating consequences of a lot of our our policies. You also to be to be fair to both sides though, if the information you're taking in and you believe it to be um, legit, if you're getting numbers that tell you no, it's not a big deal, then you don't think it's a big deal. And if you're on the left, if you're getting numbers from your news sources that say, oh yeah, it kills kids, then then you've got your four year old in a mask at the park. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, L.A. Unified School District has enacted new, stronger child masking policies, which is amazing. Uh, And uh, the New York Times writes, I know that some Democrats believe that their approach, the emphasis on minimizing any risks to COVID, comes with little downside. But the poll results call that argument into question. One area of agreement among Democrats and Republicans is a widespread concern that pandemic disruptions are harming their children. So there's a lot of agreement. Democrats, 72%, Republicans, 61% concerned the kids are falling behind academically. Concerned about children missing out on socialization. It's practically tied in the high 60s and on and on. 
Are you concerned about your children getting sick from COVID while in-person school? Democrats, 83% wow. are concerned. Only 13 are not concerned. I never Re- think about it. <laughs> I got two kids in school. I never think about it. A plurality of Republicans are concerned, too, 49 to 44. Uh, but Democrats, it is virtually unanimous. I am concerned about my kid getting COVID at school. That's interesting. I'm concerned that I'll have trouble getting child care. If they catch a cold or COVID because of the policies, but I'm not worried about the COVID. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too blasé. I don't know. Do you, do you support or oppose transitioning students right now, folks, right now, from in-person school to online learning, sending the kids back home to the screen? You're insane. Keep in mind all the damage we and others have documented. Keep in mind the poll I just told you that large majorities of both parties are really concerned about this stuff. Among Democrats, 65% back sending the kids back home staring at a screen. 65%. That's incredible. Among Republicans, it's 29%. And do they believe that, or is that your I'm against Trump gesture? Because Trump said we got to open yeah. the schools. I don't know. I don't. Everything's so performative now, and with, with polling and everything else, I don't. That's uh, confusing. I'll repeat it one more time, then leave it alone for now. Three medical groups representing pediatricians, child psychiatrists, and children's hospitals recently declared a national emergency in child and adolescent mental health. There is practically zero threat to the kids from COVID, and you have 83% of Democrats worried their kid is going to get it at school. Now, if it's about the inconvenience that you've discussed, all right, now the kid's got to stay home. How am I going to work? That sort of thing. Okay, I get that. But the idea that, what was the percentage? 65% say you got to send the kids home and have them stare at the screen some more. I I just, you're right, Jack. You're charitable, but you're right. They have been fed horrifically dangerous misinformation and gobbled it up. So quickly on the masks, I just became aware of this. National Review uh, did a great article on this the other day. We are the outlier in the world for kids wearing masks. Did you know that? What is the reason the United States is the only country to require children wearing masks beginning at age two? The WHO recommends masks only from age six onward. The WHO says six onward. We're putting kids in masks at age two. At schools, in planes, in restaurants, everywhere. It's beyond idiotic. WHO says age six. The UK from age 11. Where did the two-year-old thing come from? A number of northern European countries, the Netherlands, Norway, Denmark, and Sweden, do not recommend elementary age school kids wear masks anywhere in society, including shops and transit everywhere else. Mask optional policies the U.S. schools would not be reckless to implement. Um, we are an outlier for the world. Now, those you, 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 Europe gets everything right. Huh? That's what I've been told by a lot of you forever. Oh, Europe, the Nordic countries, so, so much admirable. Smart, so much smarter and more advanced than us. They're not putting their kids in masks. My it's, local park, every single little kid from toddler on up is wearing a mask outside. You people are insane and uh, or misinformed. In Europe, they're not wearing masks inside, let alone outside. It's got Take to be. Thought, how about that? You can't, coronavirus. <laughs> um... It's got to be Trump derangement syndrome. It is so, so, it has so died the attitudes of, of a certain segment of people that they, they, well, it wears it's become on a you. religious right. It wears on you. When I'm at the park and my kids are the only kids without a mask, I start to think, am I doing something wrong and dangerous here? I just, and then I have to like reconvince myself, no, you're not. 
No, you're not. Yeah, it's an interesting aspect of human nature, isn't it? You need to stand out there. Notice I say him and not me. You need to stand <laughs> out there and bellow. COVID can't be transmitted outside and is nearly harmless to children anyway. Let your children live their lives. Well, since a, an old, a woman did yell at one of my kids uh, last year for not having a mask on, I, I was uh, prepared if it did happen again. I'm going to calmly but say, you know, I will be. If you can come up with an article that says it's necessary, I'll, uh, I'll get a mask for my kids. And then Any just leave it at that. Of evidence. And just leave and, it at that because I know then, you can't find one. And then pepper spray her right in the face. Just be reasonable. <laughs> and release the hounds. So if you're angry about this sort of stuff, you knew, you know who your voice is? Freaking Kid Rock. That's who your voice is. What now? Going to hear his new song next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. When I uh, saw the headline that Kid Rock had a new song out about COVID, I was expecting it to be subtle. A combination of Chesterton quotes and Latin puns, as Jonah Goldberg would say. But it was not. <laughs> You're that expecting sort of that, were you? It was okay. not subtle. <laughs> Latin puns. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just play some. This is the bleeped version. We do have the unbleeped version available from our podcast yesterday where we played it. Uh, the uh, One More Thing podcast, yeah. And we have the, the whole song if you want to listen to it there as yeah, well. Kick, kick it off there. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's Kid Rock doing his rap thing. And does not lack subtlety. It's just You can barely understand what he's talking about. the people and now we do reserve the right to scream f- Wow. Right in with Wear your mask, take your pills. Now a whole generation's mentally ill. Man, f- about you. But COVID's near, it's coming to town. We gotta act quick, shut our borders down. Joe Biden does the media embraces. Big Doc does it and they call him racist. We Let's go, Brandon. Sort of oh, thing you'd shoot. COVID. Joe, Joe's got the Omicron again. Now everybody's got or it. Or you've got that new Omicron variant that uh, is now in Oregon, California, a couple other states. Oh, you've got the old Omicron. I'm sorry to hear that. I've got the new one. I've got the, I've got the 2022 model. So, hey, Fauci, F you, he says at one point. I represent mm. science. Gets into uh, when Biden uh, shut down people flying in from other countries. The media embraces it. Big Don does it, and they call him racist. Oh, Big Don, that's what he said. Yeah. 
as in old Trump. <laughs> oh, you know, the reference to Fauci there, that reminds me, and we're going to go big on this tomorrow. There are more emails oh, oh, yeah. that have leaked out that make it absolutely undeniable that Fauci and the crew, a lot of the leading virologists, said, wow, this looks like a lab leak. This looks like this was tailored in a lab for gain-of-function research. Two days later, after a big conference call, a bunch of them said, yeah, no, nope, nope, looks totally natural to me. It's become infinitely clear there's an enormous cover-up, including by a lot of U.S. scientists. Again, we'll go big into that tomorrow. I don't think anybody will ever pay a price for it, but I'm convinced of that. I think Fauci from day one knew exactly what was going on here. And, and and put his talents and efforts into making sure nobody found out. That was his number one job. Oh, yeah. With the cooperation of the WHO. Uh, back to Child Rock briefly. I got to say, and I'm not, I'm not embarrassed by this, but I'm not proud of it either, that I was jamming that song loud yesterday and played it like five times in a row. I was getting really fired up and pumping my fist and singing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Wow. It's a good hook. We got it. We got to oh, get an edit. Great. That's got the, it's beautiefully produced. We got to get it. Just... Yeah, we got to get an edit that's got the intro and then got the hook. We the people. Let's go, Brandon, and we'll we'll just wear that thing out. Yes. That's a good tune. <laughs> yes, it's it's got a joke about D's uh, testicles later in the. You know, it's not highbrow. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's not <laughs> a highbrow. Democrats testicles. <laughs> really? It's just. Um, so no Latin puns, no Latin puns at all. If you miss an hour of the show, you can get it at armstrongandgetty.com in podcast form. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty show. This morning, the U.S. and its European allies are bracing for a possible Russian military assault. The latest American shipment arriving in Ukraine with anti-tank Javelin missiles, launchers, and other weapons to help fend off an invasion. With 8,500 U.S. troops now in a heightened state of alert, President Biden says he could start repositioning them to Eastern Europe before any Russian advance. What would lead to that is what's going to happen, what Putin does or doesn't do. And uh, I may be moving some of those troops in the nearer term just because it takes time. This would be the largest, if he were to move in with all those forces, it would be the largest invasion since World War II. It would change the world. So it's an awful lot of uh, deadly equipment and soldiers being moved into one part of the world. How this is going to turn out, I got no idea. Yeah, indeed. I've been reading with interest various thinkers that I like and their opinions on what to do, what not to do, how we got to this point. Uh, Glenn Greenwald, whose opinions are always of interest, is just absolutely on fire talking about neocons, a lot of the old Bush people. Um, and how they're number one, they just they love every intervention, every war, and their tactic then as now is branding opponents as traitors. And he goes into all sorts of detail. And what's really stuck under his saddle is that all of these uh, Bush neocon types, whether you buy the term or not, have migrated to the left. They're now all on CNN. They're all on MSNBC. They're hosting shows. They're frequent guests. They're qu- qu- quoted admiringly in the New York Times and that sort of thing. It's very, very odd the way politics goes. And we could get into that a little more um, at some point. Uh, it's a little, you know, it's a little chewy. 
you got to be really into this stuff. But I found this interesting. Ross Douthat, who's um, an opinion columnist for the New York Times, he's one of the very few more or less conservatives. Oh, yeah, and he was a, he voted for Trump both times, I think. Right, yeah, and he's got to pretty much run the gauntlet of people with bear spray and ball bats and whatever just to get to his desk. Um, but he's uh, he wrote an article that I found really intriguing, an opinion piece, How to Retreat from Ukraine. Then he uh, talks in he talks about how difficult it is to retreat, whether in Afghanistan or anywhere else. Now we face the same problem with Ukraine. The United States, in its days as a hyperpower, made a series of moves to extend our perimeter of influence deep into Russia's near abroad, meaning, you know, right up next to Russia. Some of those moves appear to be sustainable. The expansion of NATO to include countries of the former Warsaw Pact was itself a risk, but at the moment those commitments seem secure. But the attempt to draw Ukraine out of Russia's orbit, the partway open door to Ukrainians who preferred westward-focused alliances, was a foolish overcommitment even when American power was at its height. His point is, we went way too close to Russia and pushed so hard to spread our influence and westernize it that now we're out on the outskirts right next to Russia that cares pretty deeply about what's going on right next door, but we don't care enough to defend our commitments. I don't know if you want to jump in. No, I thought it was pretty interesting. I saw. I, well, I first came across this article, somebody that I like uh, retweeted it with the caption, Disgraceful, and I read it and I thought, Man, I'm not disgraced by it, I... I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure he's right, but it, it's it's certainly not an argument. To, well, I don't think it's disgraceful to think that that's a possibility. Now, how you back down at this point without looking weak and emboldening China and all that? I don't know. Yeah, excellent, excellent question. But the whole "that's disgraceful," "you're a traitor," "you're in bed with Putin" thing is uh, you know you hear that a lot. Uh, a couple more uh, sentences that I thought were of note. Um, da, 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 no, note that this is not a question of what Ukrainians deserve. Russia is an authoritarian aggressor in the current crisis. Ukraine is a flawed democracy, but a more decent regime than Vladimir Putin's oligarchy. When we gave Ukraine security under, assurances under Bill Clinton, opened the door to NATO membership under George W. Bush, supported the uh, previous protests under the under Barack Obama, we were in each case acting with better intentions than Moscow in its own machinations. But in geopolitics, good intentions are all are always downstream from the realities of power whatever its desires are ours the government in ukraine has simply never been in a position to fully join the west it's too economically weak too internally divided and simply in the wrong place he means geographically mm-hmm. and the actions of the bush and obama administrations and for all of trump's personal sympathies for putin some trump administration acts as well have left us overstretched our soft power embrace of kiev ill-equipped to handle hard power counter moves from moscow and he says, given those realities and the pressing need to concentrate American power in East Asia to counter China, it's clear enough where an ideal retreat would end up with NATO expansion permanently tabled, with Ukraine subject to inevitable Russian pressure, but neither invaded nor annexed, and with our NATO allies shouldering more of a burden of maintaining a security perimeter in Eastern Europe. But he says the actual doing of it is tougher than the theory. Biden mentioned yesterday that he's considering personally sanctioned sanctioning putin like going after putin's own pocketbook which putin said last week would be crossing a line what that means i don't know um uh i thought it was interesting msnbc was making the argument this morning and they're pretty hawkish on this whole ukraine thing at least the morning show is and that that morning show on msnbc is influential in washington dc 
a lot of the players watch that show, especially on the left, and care what they think. Anyway, they're pretty hawkish on this thing, and they made the they were making the argument that uh, Putin is uh, is attacking NATO in a way that he's trying to determine who gets to be in NATO and who doesn't. His red line is, you can't let Ukraine be in NATO, and I'm willing to invade a country to make sure that doesn't happen. So they're trying to make the argument, this is about NATO. You can make the argument that this is defending NATO, which brings us and all the other countries into it and everything like that, which I thought is, you know, that's some serious, like, George Bush neocon type talk. Yes, it is. And it strikes me as a little convenient that none of them will uh, fight and virtually none of them have children in the military. Which is always the argument back against neocons. Right. Um, Right. And it's not always 100 percent, you know, a useful argument, but I think there's truth to it. Greenwald, uh, by the way, uh, singles out CNN, MSNBC and MSNBC uh, for just absolutely uh, being neocon central and uh, and belligerent interventionism these days on the American left, which is so interesting. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, because I, I t- I've been taking in a lot of the morning show because I'm into this Ukraine uh, story. And so I record it and, and watch it. And Mika Brzezinski, who is the host of the morning show on MSNBC, her dad was Carter's national security advisor, if you don't know that. And and a geopolitical, he's considered, you know, one of the geniuses, blah, blah, blah. Some people hate him. Some people love him, wrote a lot of books. But he's he was involved at high levels with some of the biggest decisions in the Middle East and, uh, and, and around the world from back in the day. And so she's super into it. She comes from that background. Her brother, I didn't know this, but he's ambassador to somewhere, and he's been on the show super hawkish about how, I mean, he's yelling about how Biden has got to get deadly weapons in the hands of the Ukrainians. I mean, so they're they're hawkish on this whole story. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and and listen, selling, you know, guns and stuff to Ukraine is one thing. Fighting in the war is is an entirely different matter. I absolutely admit that. But I I thought this was interesting that uh, Glenn Greenwald, whose name I've been practicing over and over again, so I don't say Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald is writing about, uh, you know, David Frum and Bill Crystal and uh, and some of that crowd that's just omnipresent on MSNBC, like the Lincoln Project people were. Nicole Wallace. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jennifer Rubin, Max Boot, John Brennan, Michael Hayden, James Clapper, that whole intelligence services crowd. I I do think it is true that that whole crowd that thought going into Iraq was a good idea. Weapons of mass destruction. I get it. We we believed it. They believed it. Said them believe it. But the fact that they didn't handle that better, prepare for it better. Nobody ever paid a price for that ever. Right. They just went on to different jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll hit you with this and then we can move on. So uh, you wind up a neocon and they start inventing excuses for why the U.S. must either bomb or invade other countries or enter a new proxy war to arm and fund other countries to do. Joe is uh, working from home. Uh, They got the covid he and his wife and we're waiting for him to uh, come out of that. So we lost his signal. Um, we got more on the whole Ukraine thing coming up. A couple of more reports. Biden's definitely talking tougher than he did a week ago. I don't know what information he got behind the scenes or just changed his mind or what, but he is way tougher on this whole story than he was just a week ago. A uh, bunch of other stuff we have to get to. You can text us anytime at 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> Show. 
how in the blank do you have a Hall of Fame without Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, A-Rod, yes, and I will add Kurt Schilling. How do you have a Hall of Fame without these guys in it? I know, Listen, they all committed sins against baseball humanity. I get it. <laughs> this isn't about electing saints to the Hall of Fame. This isn't about electing people who make sports writers feel good. This is about the best. And if Pete Rose... And Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens aren't in your Hall of Fame? Well, you don't have the best players of all time. That is an interesting thing. So yesterday was the the voting that they do every year on who gets to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I didn't realize it was the last year Barry Bonds was eligible. He is the home run king. He took a whole bunch of steroids. His head got bigger. His testicles shrunk. But he has hit more home runs than anybody else in that sport. And the fans start to chant, Barry. And it would look like, unless they change the rules someday in the future, he is not going to be in the Hall of Fame, along with some of those other names that were just mentioned there by Joe Scarborough, uh, also from the steroid era. Uh, Alex, our young... What what do we call you, Alex? What's your title? Young Alex, behind-the-scenes producer. Alex in the newsroom. Um, there you go. You have strong opinions on this, I understand? I do. Baseball Hall of Fame, I'm speaking to you and the writers. You are a joke. You are a joke now. Those are the four best players. You can't tell the story of baseball without talking about them, and they're not in your Hall of Fame. You are now just the Hall of Really Good, <laughs> well, in my opinion. You know, that's a pretty good way to phrase it. If the if the point of a Hall of Fame is to tell the story of your sport at the highest level, you're not telling the story if you don't have Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Pete Rose in there. Obviously, And it comes down to their just weird voting, like, well, the writers who are allowed to vote, 75% of you have to vote them in, but they don't have to vote for 10 players. They could only vote for one. They could vote for nobody. It was a joke when Ken Griffey Jr. didn't get in unanimously. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's not important at all, but what, 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 what? I don't know. The, the, the whole steroid era was so hilarious. If, if you weren't paying attention when you lived through it, everybody was making money. Baseball had been suffering in the ratings since the lockout. Then comes the steroid era. People come back because they're watching balls fly out and records be broken. Everybody was making money. Everybody knew they were juicing. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like it was a shock to anybody. For every major leaguer that was juicing, there was 50 double-A players that were doing right. it, trying to get to the major. So it's just a stupid argument and, to me. And Barry Bonds, if you believe the behind-the-scenes reporting, he wasn't juicing for quite a while, but saw other players that weren't as good as him starting to surpass him and thought, okay, well, if this is the, if this is the way it's done now, I'm going to do it too. I don't think he made it in just because of that or didn't make it in because of that. He was also a jerk to the media. I think that played into it. As the younger voters are coming in for the Hall of Fame, you've seen his numbers go up. I, I think that had to play into it just as much as the steroid era. Pete Rose, which goes way back to his, his heyday, was in the 70s and the early 80s. He's the all-time hits leader, and he's not in the Hall of Fame because he was betting on baseball, which, as as Joe would say, is a different issue because if you ever end up with players betting and end up with a scandal, you can you could kill the whole sport. But they're not putting him in for his managerial expertise. They'd put him in for what he did, being the all-time hit king. Oh, I'm, I'm on your side. I'm just pointing out the whole betting thing is, yeah. a, is a different story than the steroids thing. Um, it's more dangerous to the sport. 
Um, uh, but he, a buddy of mine saw him down in Las Vegas recently. He's walking through a hotel lobby, and there was Pete Rose over there in the corner who's willing to sign a baseball for, I don't know, whatever. You pay 20 bucks, and he'll write his, he'll scribble his name on a baseball for you. He's just sitting at this card table in a regular metal folding chair by himself. Most people walking by having no idea who that old man with the weird haircut is in the corner because, you know, his heyday was 40 years ago. And uh, that's a pretty sad ending for him since he's not allowed to participate in baseball. Of course, the way to avoid that would be don't bet on baseball. Uh, So from what you understand of this, is there another shot or so these players that their eligibility end yesterday, they're just done? So that is the end of their eligibility for the writers section. They do things, uh, they can vote them in on like historical one like i think uh, there's a famous cub and i can't think of his name but he was voted in years after his eligibility was gone so there's still a chance and i think that first chance comes in december but this was the big one for him to get in interesting well they're going to try to stay thank you alex they're going to try to stay pure there at the baseball hall of fame and we'll see if that nets them more uh people visiting or fewer I don't know why you just don't have a bust of Barry Bonds saying he's the all-time home run leader and then have on the plaque in the description he hit this many home runs during the steroid era in which it is believed he blah, 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 and you do the same thing with Pete Rose and all the other players. Whatever. That's, as Alex just said, that's the story of baseball. Here's here's something that'd be surprising for you. If you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a whole bunch of those musicians were on hardcore drugs. Some of them were thieves. Some of them cheated on their wives. But they are part of the story of rock and roll music, so they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Tell me there's a difference between those two. I don't get it. Um, a couple of things I wanted to mention, by the way, just quickly on the Ukraine story that uh, we left out. If you happen to hear people talking about this stuff, you might not be aware. So I want to bring you up to speed. First of all, why is Germany not participating the way they should be as a member of NATO? Mentioned this yesterday. Germany stated over the weekend that we can't send weapons to Ukraine. We have a restrictive arms export policy based on our history, to which most of the world said, oh, okay, I get it. Germany started three world wars way back in the day, uh, counting the one in 1870, and then the other two. Um, And that's why they're not allowed to export weapons. Okay, so that's why they're not helping out against Russia. Uh, That's an inaccurate reading of the way things work. This came out over the weekend. Arms exports from Germany brought in a record revenue during 2021. Germany sells plenty of arms to all kinds of different people. About half of the arms they they sold to Egypt. Not exactly a, uh, a good guy. The ministry responsible said the new traffic light coalition government wants tighter regulation. Oh, so the new government. Uh, since Angela Merkel left, is against exporting arms just all of a sudden, even though they had record revenue last year. And the other part of the whole Germany thing is they shut down three of their six nuclear reactors just this month. Yeah, this calendar month, Germany shut down six, three of their six nuclear reactors. Um, so that's why they're so desperate for energy from uh, Russia. They're in a really big bind. They shut down those nuclear reactors partially with the idea that they're going to get all that natural gas from Russia through the Nord Stream pipeline, which is not online yet, but will be soon and uh, is kind of being dangled out as a threat against Russia. But nobody thinks Germany's serious about it. So Germany is not being a straight up honest player at all around this story. I at some point want to get some of the details. I don't know enough to talk about it just yet around the controversy. 
uh, with uh, Disney and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Do you know much about this? Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones, who has a form of dwarfism. If you ever watch Game of Thrones, he's the the small guy. I don't I don't know what the proper term is. Seems like a really cool guy. Bright, smart, uh, active politically, but like in a Hollywood sort of way that I'm I'm kind of enjoying because he's he's mostly angry at Hollywood. Anyway, he's very unhappy about the way Disney is handling the remake of the Seven Dwarves, and uh, I'll try to get up to speed on that story because it's it's um it's kind of classic Hollywood hypocrisy that I look forward to getting into. Neil Young, the musician continues to be very angry at Spotify because they have Joe Rogan's podcast on there. Joe Rogan, who has been more open-minded than any major media source in America for taking in different points of view on COVID and COVID treatments. Um, Neil Young, the musician, the ancient musician. What is Neil Young? He's got to be like Nancy Pelosi's age, like 80. Um, Neil Young has said that Spotify can no longer play Neil Young music if you're going to have Joe Rogan on there with his so-called... COVID disinformation. You can have Rogan or Young, but not both, says Neil Young. Well, we'll see how that plays out. I think maybe, not maybe, Joe Rogan is a little more relevant at this point than Neil Young is to uh, dollars and cents. But, all right. Nobody wants a different point of view from Joe Rogan. We'll see how that plays out. A lot more stuff coming up. If you miss an hour of the podcast, grab it uh, at armstrongandgetty.com.